1: What is happening, my friend? Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is UCLA professor and author of Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker, Developing a Fundamentally Sound Approach at Poker, Duncan Palamortis. Duncan won my heart very early on in this conversation because he's a math guy who uttered the magical words People overestimate the usefulness of solvers. Be still, my beating heart. Despite knowing very little about Duncan heading into our conversation, this episode is easily one of my favorite chasing poker greatness episodes of all time, and you're about to quickly discover why. In today's episode, you're going to learn Duncan's concept of meta-humility and why it ought to be in every successful poker player's arsenal, how to evaluate any potential poker coaches you're going to hire for private lessons, why there's no one-size-fits-all methodology for reaching your maximum poker potential, and much, much more. So without any further ado, it is my honor to bring to you the brilliant, articulate, and dare I say, handsome Duncan Palamuertas. Duncan, good afternoon, my friend. How are you doing? Good afternoon to you, too. I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I'm doing very, very well. Looking forward to a massage in a couple of hours and this conversation that we're about to have. Excellent. Likewise. I I start this show out by asking about your story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Could you tell the listener how you got involved with CARDs?
0: Right. So my case is a little bit uh, a little bit weird because I, I really like to play games and I've been playing games since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I started with playing chess uh, when I was uh, five or six years old. Uh, as long as I remember myself, you know, I'll be sitting in a corner, you know, by myself playing, you know, just reading the book and things like that. And surprisingly, um, actually, I wasn't born here. I was born in Greece and I came here for graduate school. And when I, when I was a graduate uh, student, we started playing poker for fun with friends, you know, it's like, you know, nickels and dimes and things like that. And it started as, as a challenge for me to beat my friends because I'm very competitive. So I, I realized that there's more to poker than I initially had anticipated because, you know, a little bit of Hollywood, you know, makes you think that it's all about, you know, staring, you know, your opponent, you know, to read their results and things like that. So one thing led to another I studied the game, and because of my my math background, I'm, I'm actually a math professor. I'm, I'm teaching mathematics. I realized that there is a lot of math involved, like a lot of statistics, which which made sense. I just always thought that you know the um, the psychological aspect of the game overwhelmed the the mathematical aspect of it, and I realized that was wrong as I. I'm um, are with a lot of things, and I actually argue about the, the 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 book. I argue the idea that humans were very wrong when it comes to randomness. You know, we're, we're not wired to understand it. But anyway, one thing led to another, and uh, I got into it. Uh, there was like a couple of years that I even played professionally. It was okay. it was a it was a lot of fun. Could you tell and, me the timeline here? Like like how sure. old are you
1: now? What year was this yeah, all going down? Sure, like?
0: absolutely. So when I when I started out, I mean, I was a graduate uh, student when I was uh, 22. I'm 35 right now, so, like, I've been playing poker for for about uh, 13 years, Uh, and, you know, it all, you know, went progressively, you know, I started studying the game a lot, I I played uh, online a little bit, uh, and actually, a little bit is probably an understatement, (laughs) probably more like a million years, a million (laughs) hands online, maybe two, so... And and then when you know Black Friday happened, I mean, uh, yeah, Black Friday happened. But back in two thousand eleven, uh, I I transitioned to to live poker, and um, and uh, also one of the things that. Uh, i realized is that there was actually a lot of interest um even in in places like in academia there were a lot of people who were uh, were interested in learning the poker and what makes poker work why is it a game of skill you know what what where, where does math fit in, into this picture and to make a very long story short uh, because i don't want to bore you with the details i actually brought tried to bring poker into academia and now i'm teaching poker classes at ucla yeah that that's awesome and yeah. I wanted to go
1: back a little bit, you know, you, you played professionally for a number of years, but you've also been heavily, heavily immersed in academia and getting your, you know, PhD and all, all these other things. So like, how, how did life look like as a professional poker player also immersed in, you know, the academia path?
0: No, that's that. That's a great question, Brad. Uh, it's. Um, I mean, I, I never. I, I'm, I'm really into. I'm really into math, so I, I never uh, uh, let math go away, so to speak. I'm a little bit of a workaholic as well, so I would always, you know, do a little bit of a uh, of study or playing on on the side. I don't know which one was on the side, really, whether poker was on the side or, or studying was on the side, but it really didn't matter, and. Um, it, it was ba- basically both at all times, I would say, and I'm, I'm 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 really I mean I'm enjoying this. I I view I view math like I view pretty much everything else in my life. I view math as a game. You know, here is the challenge. Here is the problem. Here is the assumptions. How do we get to the conclusion? You know, try to escape the maze, so to speak. You know, the so that that has always been my 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 life. Like really emerged into into games. And you mentioned that you're a professor at UCLA. Was there ever
1: any thought of leaving the academic space to play more poker or, uh, you know, even something else in the private sector?
0: Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Thoughts have always been there. But the one thing that I realized is... I mean why not why not have both I mean why why destroy bridges that you know potentially can be beneficial and also when it comes to mathematics for example I've invested a lot of my time you know like to 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 to, to destroy a bridge like that would be would be a huge step I mean taking breaks there's nothing wrong with that and try to you know be as up to date as possible again as humanly possible because again I mean there's only 24 hours in a day but yeah, that was pretty much my my, my my thought process. But yeah, all of these thoughts, I've thought about a lot of different things, you know, and the the industry, you know, the, and when I say the industry, I mean, I, I mean it broadly, like, you know, working for like a company, like do some programming and stuff like that. I mean, I've, yeah. I've had put yeah. The reason that I ask is a, yeah. uh, one of my best friends, I can't remember where he
1: was, teaching in LA, but he lived in Orange County. Mm -hmm. Uh, he was teaching computer science there and he was playing high stakes poker on the side and he was about to get tenure and he had a real, you know, real hard time with choosing, like I'm making way more money playing poker. Do I want to choose the path of being a professor when I feel like, you know, my upside financial upside is somewhat limited. And he, he eventually chose he eventually moved to san jose and was teaching at san jose state and then before he got tenure he stopped being a professor and went into like the startup world because he's a computer science teacher um so he went that path and now he just you know plays high stakes poker on the side but i know that like he asked me one time if i wanted to come to his class and like do like a poker lecture and i almost shit my pants i was like no, no. what are you talking about? <laughs> that's not what i'm that's not what i built for man i'm built for just showing up at the poker table and crushing people like did you you didn't do it no i i didn't no. do it i, I was no. it was a different time of my life where i wasn't I used to talking in front of people now i think i would do a much better job um you know this was probably seven or eight years ago i would do a much better job now than than i would back then but he did offer it and you know that that's a thing that he was ultra interested in as well, uh, teaching poker
0: and teaching human beings in general. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I would say, I mean, since you know, I I I don't know your friend, but I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you you guys probably have have chemistry. I mean, as long as we have someone to ask you some questions uh, in, in in the in the class environment, for me that's top priority. Like it's always important. I even. Try to do it a little bit informally, so to speak. I let my students interrupt me, and like it's important for people to feel comfortable, express themselves. So as long as you have chemistry with with a person kind of like in charge of the class, I think you would do a great job because I mean, again, I've listened to your podcast. I I don't think you would have any issue explaining ideas and and, and thoughts. Well, I I appreciate
1: the infusion of confidence, Duncan. My friend, my friend, uh, he's not so tactful in that sense, you know, (laughs) like I have no idea of like the logistical, what this even looks like. I never even, I never went to college, right? Like I took a year off for high school. I found poker and then I was just doing so well at poker that I never pursued Any form of higher education, because it didn't really make sense to me. Um, And yeah, I have no idea. Like he he didn't explain like what it's even like what it what what it would feel like or be like. So if it would have been you, I feel like you would have done a much better job of selling it to me and,
0: uh, you know, calming my nerves sure i think communication is important like you know a lack of communication can create the issue because academia is not just you know very much different than basically reading books you know any any kind of books i mean it's just a process we just read one book after the other basically (laughs) oh i'm oversimplifying a little bit but that's that's the gist of it so it's not yeah
1: Yeah, uh again computer science very analytical guy i think that like Persuasion is not his strongest suit in the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I see. Um, then but, I would love to have you in my class at some point. I know I'm a, all, all the way to the uh, to the West Coast, but you know, if you're ever here, you know, more than happy to have you. I I would love to take my wife go to L. A. and have
1: that experience because I have plenty of friends in L. A. for my time playing at Commerce and. Basically living there, so I, I definitely yes. want to go back when in non-pandemic time. And I yeah, also sure. just, I also just want to meet the people that I've interacted with, the guests that I've had on this show, like in Vegas and in LA and in San Jose. You know, it's uh, kind of sad to me that I don't have that opportunity because of the the pandemic.
0: Speaking speaking of Vegas, Brad, I, 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 pre-pandemic, because now it's very weird times. But did you did you used to go to Vegas? Do you go to Vegas often or? I don't like, I, I, I
1: don't love Vegas. My wife, my wife does not love that about me because she loves Vegas.
0: She's <laughs> like my wife. <laughs>
1: Vegas to me is like, you know, I'm one of those weird people that likes humidity. Mm-hmm. And when okay. I go outside in Vegas, it feels like I'm under a magnifying, like God's magnifying glass. And I'm melting into the concrete. Like, <laughs> I don't know how anybody could stand it. Like L.A., <laughs> LA like they have good games there's always action the weather is so much better
0: it's just I've just always loved LA more than Vegas you're you're absolutely correct and just like a a silly anecdotal story uh, I decided as an experiment to live in Vegas for a little while right so I went that was during the time that I was playing professionally so I decided to go there not for long for like three months that was you know my time period so I, I stayed there for three months I mean Exactly as you describe it, magnifying glass, sweating day in and and day out, literally and metaphorically. And then when I came back to L.A., I remember uh, I took the bus uh, back then, uh, and I remember I got out of the bus. And I look at the disgusting floor of a lane. for the first time in my life, I wanted to actually kiss the ground. And I say, <laughs> oh, my God, I'm back. I'm back to heaven because it was so unbearable. Like what you're describing right now, you know, and by the way, it was a great trip. It went really well, as expected, like business wise. It was an amazing trip. It was as planned, you know, but in terms of, you know, day in and day out, it was a nightmare it was a, oh my God. Yeah. So I was like, nope. Uh, LA has great games too. So I'll I'll stay here.
1: Yeah. We are kindred spirits in that sense. Um, Mm -hmm. The Vegas weather does not agree with me whatsoever. Um, One thing I've read some of your articles online, some of your upswing articles. One thing that I appreciate that I don't know that a lot of people do is the way that you're able to simplify complex ideas, because this is oh, something that I spent a lot of time as a poker coach and somebody that creates content. Like, how do I simplify this super complex idea? How do I distill it so that it's executable at the poker table? It's right. kind of like a uh, priority number one. And I think that like, it can be a little underappreciated, especially when you lay things out. So simplistically people are thank like, you. it can't right. be this simple. Right. But right. like, that's sort of the point. And yeah, I just wanted to, you know, share your relationship with simplifying complex ideas.
0: Oh no, absolutely, and and, and I appreciate the compliment. And you know, I I think it's actually uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I I, I remember reading uh, a, a tweet of yours um, today actually that which I really like the the idea that uh, people would rather be be clever than 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 be good, which is actually I I, I think it really comes down to to to, to that concept that. Uh, sometimes in order to to do something fundamentally sound in poker, it's actually quite simple, right? I mean, things like, you know, uh, don't overplay your hand or, you know, play in position, you know, or have uh, initiative, you know, like th- these, these kind of things, which, which sound very simple. But at the same time, they don't sound um, incredibly sexy. I mean, that's a boring game, you know, like playing like a tag strategy. And I think that it, 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 in the end of the day, it, it comes down to it a lot. You know, the fact that we may overanalyzing things, you know, may, may, may make them very complicated. Like, for example, one of the things that, and I may get a lot of flack for this, but this is something that trust me, yeah. I've thought a lot about, is the fact that I think that people, what is the, the proper word to put it, um, they overestimate Uh, the 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 usefulness of solvers for example in 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 this day and age right i mean it's it sounds incredibly awesome oh my god there's a game theory optimal strategy out there so we should better learn it, and that should be the only way to (laughs) you You know
1: you are not going to get flack on this show for making that statement
0: and especially as a phd in
1: mathematics this is (laughs) like oh i'm loving this right now like this is (laughs) a thing that
0: i preach day in and day out so go on it, it It's something that i've I've studied uh, I've studied a lot, and it's something that uh, has like several issues. like I could go into like the level. Of issues that GTO strategies uh, GTOs uh, have, and and I don't know if we have the, the the time for this, like to indulge me a little bit, so I can I can say a couple of things about GTO if you don't mind. Would that be okay? Yeah, go as long as you want. This is a, okay. this is something that really matters to me, so it's a passion okay. of mine. So okay, G- great. Because again, um, this is something that I I so happen to have studied. I mean, from the mathematical standpoint and also from a poker standpoint, very much. And also, not that it means anything, but I mean, I had the. Uh, you you know the the good chance of actually teaching a game theory class before not that it means anything. Just because somebody teaches a class, that doesn't mean anything. It's not part of the credentials. But it, usually, I, had a, I, had a pro, I had a professor who used to tell me, Duncan, you don't really learn something until, you, until you're forced to explain it to somebody else. So in that sense, you know, like teaching, it helped me actually understand some things that I wasn't able to before. And I'm still learning, of course. This is like an incredibly huge topic, which is going to be part of the reasons why I don't like GTO strategies. And I will explain what do I mean by I, I don't like. I want to be very clear. So there's basically four levels the, the way I see it. So the first level is what is exactly GTO, and there is like very nice definitions of all of those things. Basically, optimal strategies, unexploitable strategies, strategies that no matter what the opponent does, we don't care, right? I mean, we grab our um, a, a certain amount of profit and we hold on to it, and the opponent cannot take it away from us. Everybody understands that. The interesting thing about GTO strategies is the way Nash actually proved it in 1950s. And I'm not going to go into, into crazy details, but I do want to give a little bit of a flavor because I'm sure like, intelligent people like yourself and your listeners, they will, they will appreciate it. And you don't have to be a math major to understand what Nash did. So Nash did what mathematicians would call a, a topological argument and a topological argument is he looks at a space a certain way and basically what he said he used a theorem which is known as fixed point theorem and what basically says is that if you can imagine you have like let's say a billion people well, that's a lot of people, right? A billion people. And you try to confine them into, into a large circle. So imagine that you cram a billion people into a circle. And to make it interesting, you actually let people hold hands. That would be super ideal and sounds a little bit... Uh hippie-like, but anyway, let's say that, imagine all the people holding hands, so, and then you let those people shuffle around, but the caveat is they need to keep holding hands, so the people who were near you you before, they stay near you afterwards, right, I mean, that is what mathematicians would call continuous mappings, you know, like you basically start from a specific region, and you end up in the same, same region, but the points inside the region have shuffled, so that's, that's a topological argument. That's a spatial argument. It turns out, and actually you may think about it and it, it feels very natural. It turns out that when you shuffle people around, there's going to be at least one person which has barely moved because of the proximity property, the fact that everybody who was next to you before has to stay next to you before. There must be some sort of an anchor somewhere that hasn't moved. And actually, you know, mathematicians can make that precise and, you know, people are going to come and say, well, Duncan, no, 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 you forgot to mention this little detail, this other detail, which I absolutely do not care. And they can go and they can take, you know, my, uh, you know, my degrees away. I really don't mind. It's, it's all about explaining. It's not about being accurate in, 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 when you convey similar, uh, simple ideas. So now what, what Nash did and there's a reason why I mentioned this argument because it will make it will make uh, um, I want to make a point that's related to that later. But what Nash did, basically, he did a very clever argument of of doing that reshuffling of people. Of course, instead of using people, he used strategies. and he said, instead of reshuffling people, I'm going to reshuffle strategies, and for each strategy, I'm going to associate a better strategy, right? So he said, if every strategy has a better strategy, then there is no strategy like the person who didn't move. There is no strategy we cannot push any further, if that makes sense. Remember how I told you there's going to be one person that barely moved? That's the optimal strategy. That's the strategy that cannot be pushed further up. Incredible uh, argument, incredible yeah. argument, right? Incredible argument that uses topology. And I, my apologies for getting excited, so. <laughs> no, no apologies. Put, yeah, we yeah, love yeah. excitement on this show.
1: That, that's, what, that's
0: our yeah. currency. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so uh, there is a very fundamental issue to anyone who's paying attention, especially to practical people. They will tell you, wait, 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 wait a minute, Duncan, you said there is a person that barely hasn't moved. Do we know who that person is? The answer is, unfortunately, no. And there lies the problem. So Nash told us brilliantly, right, very brilliantly. I mean, he won the Nobel Prize for, 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 for these, these arguments. He, he told us brilliantly that there is an optimal strategy, but unfortunately he wasn't able to tell us what that strategy is. And there lies problem number one. Yeah, that's kind we of do, a major problem. That's a major problem. I and mean, it's beautiful mathematically, right? It's, it's good to know that it exists, right? But people have spent a lot of time trying to find what that is. So that's not problem number one. Problem number two Is that because I mean, there is this difficulty in finding, we kind of have to apply what, uh, you know, your software engineer friend, for example, will say, your computer science, excuse me, friend, uh, what's his name, by the way? Uh, His name's Tan Tran, uh, Tango is Tingo. Okay, so Tingo, excellent. Okay, so Tingo, uh, as, as he would tell you, Uh, is that, you know, like when we have no better way, you know, we will use what is known as brute force. And brute force is basically try every strategy until we find the best one. The problem is, I mean, computationally, that's a very difficult problem. So what people are doing, including the solvers, they say, okay, we cannot try every little strategy. So let's start approximating. Let's start cutting things. Let's narrow the ranges to, to make them a little bit more tractable. Let's cut some bed sizes. Let's not allow all the bed sizes. Let's not allow, let's say, uh, every little increment all the way to 100% and over bets, let's say 20%, 60%, full bet, twice the bet, and that's it. And then one by one, people are starting to cut a little bit, including the solvers. Which actually brings us to the the, the 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 third point, which is essentially the solvers are not really are really solving poker; they're solving an approximation to poker, which is another another big important issue. And then, of course, there is the issue of uh, implementation. Even if we understood all of these crazy concepts, what human? I, I certainly cannot do that. I, can, I cannot play anywhere near what what computers what computers are suggesting.
1: Yeah, and, and would you
0: want to? I think that's would you that's
1: an even more important question.
0: That's the the final issue. I, I love that you mentioned that because you clearly have thought about this a lot. I mean, it's it, it's clear. And the final issue is, would you want to? Because optimal does not mean most profitable, right? And I, and I know many of you viewers already know that. What 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 optimal is? It like I said, it's a lock on a specific piece of the pie that nobody can take away from you. But like the metaphor that I'm using is the rock, paper, scissors. That's that's what everybody understands, right? So rock, paper, scissors, you you have you have a guy like me, I've never played let's say rock scissors, rock, paper, scissors before, and I go rock, 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 rock all the time. Now the GTO strategy would tell you to randomize respond to that but like you see how much money you're leaving on the table by basically randomizing against the rock 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 guy
1: it you know what's hilarious about you using this exact uh comparison is i have used this exact thing multiple times on this podcast of like yeah gto says randomized but if your opponent's choosing rock 80 percent of the time you'd be a fool not to choose paper 100
0: of the time right that's that is correct exactly Exactly, and that's what poker is all about. That's what makes it exciting. Like I, to to be very honest with you, Brad, I wouldn't want to sit at a table where I know everybody's using GTO strategies. I mean, what, what what's the point? And 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 I'll, I'll assume that they're even doing it correctly. Like, why would I want to play in this game,
1: right? Another it, another factor that I think is undervalued as it relates to executing GTO is the uh, the part that emotions play on determining our actions and the decisions that we take like humans are emotional creatures. And a lot of the actions taken at a poker table, when you have that pressure, uh, emotions get amplified and people act based on their emotions. So like, even if you're playing at a high level, your emotions still come into play, whether you're aware of it or not, which leads you to using suboptimal strategies in some spots. Um, And I just made a, a video on poker coaching Uh, for this 30-day challenge starting the new year. And one of the videos was me looking at a solver for a very specific situation that I was in and kind of showing like, okay, so I raise pre, the big blind three bets me, and then going into the solve and saying like, so on this board, uh, 10-7 deuce, I have eight, nine, so I have a straight draw, Mm -hmm. looking at like the exact hand that the villain showed up with on the river because I have that knowledge on ignition. I can look it up after the fact. I'm like, right here, I know the villain has queen five suited, and this villain is never supposed to be three betting queen five suited out of the big blind. Therefore, how accurate do you think this solve is going to be for this specific situation? When we've, we already see that it's incorrect right. at decision point number one. Right. Um, right. So yeah, it's just like, like solver. I, I think of them as like genies, right? Like, a I right. I think of them as genies that you can ask a question and it's kind of one of those evil genies that if you ask it a bad question, it ruins your life. That's and gives you a horrible <laughs> that's- answer. Right. Um, right. Right. So you have to ask very, very good questions where All you right. node lock strategies, and it's hard to have that sort of clairvoyance on the Absolutely.
0: specific strategies that your opponents are using. Co- correct. I agree. Agree. One hundred percent. And and the one thing that I want to say, because again, I mean, it's good to give uh, the devils it do. Is I, I think that that solvers have their place, so that we we can learn a lot of things. Again, as as, as someone who's played chess a lot, I know that. Uh, engines have helped people a lot although there is a a, a, a difference by the way with with chess that has, has to do with the fact that chess is a game of perfect information whereas poker is not that that's also very relevant actually but regardless there is a place where we can get a little bit of uh, of an insight like uh, what you d- describe for example like specific situations where you have a lot of information we can get a lot of insight from uh, from from the engines but no, it's not the end all, be all. by, by any means, we're, we're still playing against humans, and humans have tendencies, which, right. which which can and should be exploited instead of just trying to to protect, like take the easy way out and randomize in rock paper scissors, basically.
1: Yeah, and you, if you want to, you know, if you want to prove to yourself that solvers may not be the end all, be all, is like run a solve and then change a couple of variables for that right. specific situation and just see right. how the solve changes based right. on just changing a couple of different variables that may or may not be accurate right so That's it's really hard you, you have to simplify and you have to study very very specific spots as with as simply as possible i think one of the one of the best ways to you solvers in my opinion is like river spots where mm-hmm. you know you have some clairvoyance as to the range because the range has been narrowed through past mm-hmm. decisions mm-hmm. you don't even input flop or turn actions you just look at the river with the range you think your opponent has and then you just okay. look at different sizes to sort of you know if you're bluffing or value betting try to find like the most efficient river size to use in this spot i think there's lots of value in solvers there because it's not intuitive Absolutely. um some of the things that it spits out but yeah for just general like Flop play and turn decisions. It's yeah. really tough to. It, not not only is it really tough to execute. It, it just it increases the level of complexity. Like I said, that going back to that tweet, right? Most people just want right. to seem smart,
0: I, I, and I, they don't want to make money. um that's, that's that's a good point. I agree 100. I mean, I I, I, I ran a, a similar question, which basically is, do you think you can make money in this day and age without solvers? And actually, 40 percent of people said no. So a lot of people <laughs> think that solvers are essential, which. I thought it was interesting. That's why I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, and see,
1: I, I I run into these anomalies sometime on the podcast, right? We get like the the Jason Coons of the world who are like world-class, right. you know, not – there's not 10 people in the world who are better right. at poker than Jason Coon, and he uses solvers a sure. lot. He uses randomizers, and that right. works for him specifically. And then I have on the other end of the spectrum is somebody like Mark Herm who – you know, has millions and millions of dollars in tournament winnings. He was, he won 1.5 million the first six months of last year. And he actively antagonizes people for using solvers, right? Like he goes, (laughs) he goes for their throat and it's like, how does this person exist in the wild? Right. It's a very, it's a curious thing, which just, you
0: know, leads me to the conclusion that like, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Correct. Correct, exactly, and, and and I actually remember I had it, one of my students who said, Duncan, do not say there's one more, one more, one more basically that phrase. There's one more, more, sorry, <laughs> sometimes uh, one more than one way to skin a cat. Say there's one more, more than one way to, to peel an orange because it, <laughs> it she felt uncomfortable because I was making the same argument, basically, yeah. right? That 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 people are are different, and to certain people, certain things work better. You know, some people are more organized, some people. Are more uh, intuition based. It, it's perfectly fine, and I actually tried to make that that argument on on, on my book. I'm, I'm trying to say that just because something works for Alex, it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. It's important to find the thing that 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 works for you, provided that it's uh, it's sound in a certain way. And, and and one can make a sound argument for and against the uh, the engines or the solvers, however you're going to call them, um, in in this case.
1: Yeah, I think it's just it's just a thing that you know. Another tweet that I made a few weeks back was like. People in general just want an answer, and they don't even care if oh, it's a bad answer. Like well,
0: that's that's actually very true. Also,
1: yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's a, a big problem as it relates to solvers. Because I think honestly, like solvers are keeping the games good in some respect right. because people can't execute the strategies and they believe in them dogmatically, right. and then they just can't succeed. They keep failing and they don't understand what's happening. Um, right. So I think in some way, like solvers. in in an odd way have made the games better because people are overconfident and over reliant on the use and, you
0: know, their expectations, but, um, yeah. Absolutely. actually it's it, there's a very nice excellent excellent book that talks about how people used uh, mathematics uh, the, the, the title escapes me right now i have the I have the I mentioned in the book as well but it talks about um how to take advantage uh of um of gambling how math can be used to take advantage of gambling and one of the arguments they make in the book uh is that um when, the, um, when Edward Thorpe realized that blackjack can be beaten, right? So he wrote that uh, that book, Beat the Beat the Dealer. There were, for everyone, per- so the casinos freaked out. Let, let me say that right, right off the bat. The casinos freaked out and they said, you know what? We're not going to let anybody do that. At, at, at the slight hint that somebody's counting cards, you know, we're going to bar them. Until they realized that for every one person who knew how to count cards correctly, there were about a hundred who had no idea how to do it properly, and they were losing more money than they would otherwise. So they started selling those cards. Say, no, no, please come, come and count cards for us. <laughs> yes, please. You want to, you want to do this? It was, it was amazing. It's just, it's just, it's true. Like it's very, like there is uh, a lot of danger in misapplying in mis- uh, concepts, especially when we're talking about razor thin edges and very difficult, very difficult margins and ideas.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's just really hard because yeah, it, it's a, uh, this is just right at my wheelhouse. Like I said, this is a thing that I think about a lot, the difference I, between like intuitive leaning people and analytical leaning people. And like, I'm somebody who I, I view myself as, you know, I think we're all on the spectrum, true. but I view myself as leaning intuitively. And mm-hmm. I realized through talking to an analytical guy who like runs aggregated reports on Pyo, and he's like, You know, he's a crusher at the highest stakes on ignition. And we were having a conversation and like most people, the process is like theory, theory to exploitation to like Mm -hmm. hand incentives. And I went about it the complete opposite way of hand incentives and from hand incentives, I understood exploits. And then I understood, oh, if I'm exploiting a strategy here, there must be some theory on top of it. They must be making a mistake. So from the exploit, I learned the theory and like I just want to put it out there. As many times as I possibly can on this podcast, that like that's okay if that's how you're constructed. If Absolutely. you if you sit down and like the theory doesn't make sense to you and it's hard and makes poker not fun and it dots are not connecting, again you can attack it from a different angle that resonates with you and eventually you will get it. Um, and I, I think that like that's a failing of poker training on the market that just forces people in the box of analytical from the very beginning.
0: I, I agree 100%. I think that's a, that's a bigger mistake than following an incorrect strategy. Like forcing forcing somebody to to be someone who they're not can can lead to to, to huge issues. And, sure. Uh, yeah. And 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 I actually I agree with you. And I encourage my own students. You know, like say Duncan, what should I do with that with that hand? Sometimes they tell them and say, what do you think you should do? Like try it, try it. It doesn't matter if it works or it doesn't. Work. I mean, you're going to get experience either way. Try a few different things. Do not try to 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 play my strategy try to formulate yours, make mistakes, understand what these mistakes happen. And that's the important thing. As long as we learn from our mistakes, we improve. If we don't make mistakes or if we don't understand that we're making mistakes, if we don't see errors, uh, if we we do not attempt even to make mistakes, then we cannot improve. Like we make mistakes and we don't even understand it. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of times we make fear-based mistakes that are on the passive end of the spectrum. And I always challenge my guys and for the listener out there, like, make a mistake, make an aggressive mistake, follow your intuition, get involved in a funky spot. And then afterwards you can review it and gain takeaways and wisdom that you can apply forever in the future. So like, just because you lose money in a hand, doesn't mean that you're going to lose money over the course of your poker career from that hand. You can extrapolate, you can gain the wisdom, um, from that experience and take it with you. And I think that that's just, that's another thing that like, People are afraid of. They're afraid of right. making mistakes. And um, you know, years back in my Skype group when I was first coaching poker, sure. somebody asked me a question and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Sure. Like, let's investigate it, let's see, like try to come to a conclusion. Um, and then afterwards, they were like, Yeah, man, I really like that. That you just said, I don't know. And I'm <laughs> That's like, honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. There are lots of things that I don't know, and lots of situations in poker, even after 16 years, that like, I don't have a clear answer and I need to dive in to gain clarity. So, yeah, don't be afraid of saying you don't know and don't be afraid of making mistakes. Those are opportunities for learning and opportunities for growth.
0: I Agree, hundred percent. I mean, as long as we as we're learning uh, about mistakes, right? Because some people feel bad about the mistakes. I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's a great opportunity. That's what we want. We wanna we wanna see the mistakes and and and, and improve upon them. Absolutely. Yep. And whether yeah. or not you feel
1: bad about your mistakes or not, um, you're making mistakes. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> you, you may right. you may not feel bad about them, but they're there. I promise every, you, every session. Every hand. That's right. Um. Yeah. Maybe maybe even every hand. Jason. Tell me about presence. Why did you think presence was the missing weapon in the arsenal of poker players?
2: So everyone's a mindset champion when they're running great, right? But when you're getting crushed day after day and you haven't booked a win in forever and the confidence just gone and you're trying to do this thing that you read about in a book or someone told you about being logical and being happy that the money went in good when all you really want to do is cry and hit something at the same time. Like, how are you supposed to be logical in that moment? But that's the only moment when you really need it. What you need in that moment isn't mindset. You've already read all the mindset books, and you already know what you're supposed to think and what you're supposed to do. What you actually need in that moment is presence. Presence is the ability to connect the dots between who you want to be and how you can actually be that person when you need it most.
1: So let's go to the chase right like how do you do it how do you stay more present when you're at the poker table
2: well you get there by first deciding that you want more right that you want to grow your intuition that you want to create more flow in your life and that you want to reach your full potential as a player and as a person and once you get there you can start trying out some of the exercises and practices that i've put together if it feels good if you're enjoying it you can keep going And if you keep going long enough, eventually you'll find that you're just playing at really high levels, that you feel good with low stress, and you're enjoying your experience a lot more. Not just at the table, but away from it as well.
1: I personally would love to have as much presence as I possibly can in my day-to-day life. And if you, the listener, right now wants to add some presence to your game, visit PokerWithPresence.com join jason sue's email newsletter and then schedule a free consult with the master of presence himself one more time that's pokerwithpresence.com so let's kind of go back you know you're sure. you're teaching you're a professor <laughs> uh, you start writing poker articles when did you when did you start getting involved in you know providing poker education for the world kind of marrying sure. your your academia and your hobby your personal interest
0: right uh, so that, that that kind of started uh slowly so like i actually had to think you know when did that thing start but i mean i was able to trace it back at around 2014 when was the the, the first time that uh um you know I, I started teaching some some classes to to broader audiences like as part of a program called UCLA extension where people were able to come in um, and from, from all different backgrounds. And then from there, you know, the, the classes expanded and, uh, I started, you know, uh, dabbing into writing a few articles, mostly to vent out a little bit, say some things <laughs> but, uh, um, and, um, and, and also, and, and also start a conversation because for me, a, a conversation is actually incredibly important. I, I like to be challenged myself and, uh, I I encourage my my students to to, to challenge me in in class. And and, and it's not because I think it's some sort of contest. I always uh, view myself as as a fellow student. So I think that the difference between the instructor and the student is that the instructor has a little bit more experience. But other than that, we're all students and we'll try to figure out a bigger problem. So, yeah. and, and and because of that reason, you know, like I always like when my students interrupt me, they ask me questions, but Duncan, what if what if my opponent is completely random? Like every decision they make is random. It's very difficult for me to adjust. What do I do? Let's think about it, right? I mean, I like this type of questions, you know. How about Ace King? I mean, a King is a very complicated hand. Why do you say it's a good hand? you know let's think about it right i mean what is it so it's i I like that that kind of stuff so that's uh, progressively to answer your question that's how it 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 started it's it's a need that i have for 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 challenge for a constant for a constant back and forth uh so that you know like day by day to to try and suck less basically
1: (laughs) (laughs) what 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 i love about that is like there's a clear visual right from Mm -hmm. nash and that topographical way of looking at game theory where like you know, you have your strategy and like, you're holding hands and you're, you're letting your strategy be challenged, right. In, right, right. in an effort to find the next level, the next correct. more, you know, the next, uh, better strategy, which I think people ought to do. Like you always, you know, it's a fine line to walk between being assertive in the decisions you're making at the poker table, while also having the humility to kind of ask, like, this was a good play. Is there a better play? Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So I think everybody ought to be challenged very regularly on their poker thoughts, their ideas, their theories, because through those challenges, that's where the growth lies. It may Correct. not be, may not be fun when somebody <laughs> <That's> pokes, <right. laughs> pokes a big hole. Um, yeah. But ultimately, like if somebody is able to poke a big hole in your strategy, like look at that as kind of a, an opportunity, an opportunity, a benefit right. for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I do want to dive into something that Is very near and dear to my own heart. Like you're, you're an award winning teacher. You, your parents are teachers. That's correct. And for the listener out there, I wanted to ask you, Mm -hmm. what are some you know tells, some ways that they can evaluate, say, if they get a private poker coach, if that coach is a good teacher. Like, how should they be thinking about evaluating? Um, somebody that they're invest making a sizable investment into and also giving them their trust
0: oh no that's, that's that i think that's a that's a great question I, I i think um you know i i don't mean to to, to sound cheesy here but a lot of uh, a lot of the, the conclusions that they're going to reach are, are going to be instinctive. And I think that there is a reason why we have those instincts. So I would say to trust the instincts. I, I'm going to give some more rational answer to this. But I mean in the instinct, the day- though. I want to go down. Like, let's yes, dive absolutely. deeper. Like,
1: what's right. that feeling? Where does it manifest? How does that feel?
0: Right. So if, if, if you're speaking to someone that you have that feeling that they may make sense But at the same time, you feel like, you know, they're trying to sell something to you or you have that feeling that uh, something is not as it seems, but you cannot put your finger to it. Just trust that feeling because there's a reason why we have 3.5 billion years of evolution, right? I mean, our bodies have um, have evolved to protect ourselves from danger. So we have ways to recognize those dangers. So even though we may not understand those things very well, it's important to trust them. So at the very low level, like without putting any rationality into it, I would say the instincts matter, right? That's that's why uh, sometimes Phil Helmuth co- calls the white magic, right? I mean that's that's what I would call instincts, which is you know no need to call it more fancy than it is. I, I love Phil, by the way. He's he's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, okay, so um, then at a more rational rational level, I think you mentioned one of the points already. Like people who are not afraid to say, I don't know. If someone comes to you and they say they have all the answers, chances are they're lying. Because to this day, I haven't met a person in my life that, that has all the answers. So it's confidence, not, uh, not not faked knowledge, right? So not projected fake knowledge, right? It's, it's, it's okay to be confident. Like a perfect example of that, like the epitome, I would say, of the, the well-known poker players and educators that would be Phil Galfand. Very humble, very humble. Incredibly knowledgeable, right? Incredibly knowledgeable, and uh, and uh, and always ready, you know, to improve. Like he took this this first challenge with with with, with Vidi, expecting to lose, by the way, because he thought, I mean, I haven't studied any of the GTO strategies, and he actually, to make a connection to the previous question, by the way. Uh, incidentally, Phil Galphon tried to play GTO a little bit. He started losing the challenge. I don't know if you follow that at all. And then he he, he reverted back to his old style, and he actually ended up beating Vin- Venividi, which is another pretty interesting victory for non GTO strategies. Just just as an aside, but anyway. So so yeah, I, I, my apologies. I got sidetracked here, but yes. So instincts uh, and uh, the uh, the uh, the idea that they they shouldn't have all the answers. And um, a- another point I would make is: Are they are they willing to to be challenged? Because a an, an an educator is is not there to is not there to feel smart for themselves. It's there to help you with something. So if you really are having a question, and the educator is telling you, "No, no, that's nonsense." Like, it means that they do not take you very seriously. Like, it does not matter one iota if your question has been answered a million times before. It's an important question to you. So do they respect the question that you're asking? Or do they go like on, you know, other, you know, tangents and and try to put into your head what they want to put into your head, I would say. Because a real educator communicates with you. A real educator does not try to tell you this is the lecture, follow it, or you get an F. A real educator is okay. Let's let's try let's try to explore what's going on. What people before us tried to do. Why why it worked. Why it didn't work. What did you try today? Uh, what did you try today, Brad? I mean, uh, did it work for you? Why do you think it didn't work? You know, wh- what is your issue? Let let's talk about it. Let's let's you know peel the onion and see what's inside and try to layer by layer find out what what we can do about
1: it. Yeah, and one of the tricks i pull out of my tool bag is like you know if there's a disagreement right because there is a disagreement and strategy in these coaching sessions a lot of the time where you know i think a strategy is better they think a strategy is better it's like okay let's let's just challenge it right Right. like let's just look at the data and kind of explore and see which one of us are Right. right um so you know basically like we we make you disagree like let's try to prove it and see where we end up at the end of the day because you know there are plenty of times where i've learned things from my my students who approach Absolutely. something all from all just all a, a totally different angle right and it's like oh wow you know i, I thought that i thought that play x was likely going to capture the most ev but i, I now I, i'm kind of on board with uh play y that that you came up with so you know again just watch phil galfond uh playing heads up against i believe it bill perkins on twitch mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the amount of times that he says i don't know I think, That's right. That's I think right. that I should be betting pot here. Uh, I don't really know. Um, he says it constantly over and over and over him. again. Yeah. And if Phil doesn't know, then for the <laughs> love of God, like what do us
0: mere mortals know? That's, you know? Right. That's right. That's exactly correct. Yeah. No, it, it, exactly. And and, and also uh, nothing uh, – w- one of the things about uh, – not, not just the I don't know, but the idea of, of challenging – uh, the, the reason why I think challenging a statement is so powerful is because if if a proper communication ensues after that challenge, we can't go wrong either way. Either the person who's asking that question, they're right, so we're going to learn something new or they were wrong in a certain way so we're going to help them you know move in, into the right position either way that's a good thing like that's a like that discomfort is important in education is what what, what I like to uh, I like to call healthy struggle we got to struggle it's important but we, we can't be all oh you know I, I had a friend of mine when i was a kid he used to say when when people when two people are agreeing they're not talking they're gossiping you know so there is some In a disagreement that needs to happen. And that's because we're trying to implement new knowledge of the world into our current knowledge. And that's going to be painful. That's going to be, that's going to suck a little bit. Or maybe that's an understatement even. So so. I think that like,
1: it's just people's fundamental approach to arguments. I there was a Tim Ferriss interview, I can't remember who he was talking to, but they were talking about just arguments and like, who are the real winners and losers, right? You know, the people that treat arguments as like war, where it's like, they they're going (sighs) to die on their hill, no matter what, it doesn't matter what you say, they will die on their hill. And it's like, if you lose an argument, you gain knowledge. You gain right. perspective. You're the one that actually comes out of that challenge um, for the better. So, like losing an argument is not a bad thing. It's actually a positive thing because it means that you you grew. Right. The right. person right. who defended their side of the argument, they didn't gain anything. They they solidified why they think about this thing the way that they do, but. Yeah, it's uh it's mindset, it's perspective, and I think emotions, human biases, kind of muddy the waters as it relates to those kind of challenges.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely, Brad. And and and, and you know, I, I actually I I coined a term for what you just described—that idea of losing an argument—because one of the on the issues I had, I was thinking to myself, basically, basically what you just said, right? If there, is, there seems to be an issue with what you just described, right? Which I think it's actually uh, pretty interesting. What 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 is that issue? On the one hand, we know that we don't know everything, right? We know that we have, uh, we're lacking knowledge in everything. Like there there's not a single statement. I mean, I've been studying like math and poker all of my life and the things that I don't know, they're way, like, I mean, the things that I know, they're not even, you know, 1% of all the things that I do know, right? So I'm thinking to myself, if there's so many things that we don't know, like how can we ever say the word I know? On the other hand, if you go into a conversation and you always say, I don't know, I don't know, I do know, nobody is going to take you seriously. So we have an issue here, right? So that that is something that I've been thinking a lot. Like, how do we resolve that issue? And one pot- potential way one can resolve that issue, what you call losing an argument, because I, I, I don't like to think of like having arguments, because to even have an argument, it means that you have a solidified opinion on something, and that's dangerous. So how do we rectify the situation? And I have a concept, which I call it meta humility. Like it's the idea that when you talk about a subject, be as confident as you can be because it's important not, not not to sound smart, but because if we're confident, it means that you give your best to support that argument. It's not that you believe in it necessarily, but you give your best to support an argument. Uh, 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 you give your best efforts to paint that argument in the best possible way. Why? Because if you, the, the person you're talking with finds holes in that argument, it means at least you did the best. So the argument is not strong. How, th- th- this is what I, what 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 I, what I would call meta humility. We know that these arguments may have holes, but we're still being very confident at them because we want to to, to give our opponent the best opportunity. We're going to strengthen our opponent. To poke holes at them does that make sense oh it makes
1: perfect sense like these yeah. are greatness bombs and i love like the the language that you're using there and it, it's pretty clear to me after i spoke and then right. you know you talked about uh the meta humility right it's like oh the language around this problem ought to be changed so that we approach it from a different angle which again is you know very near and dear to my heart as well as it relates to poker because i think language is uh, very very important and i think poker language in general is quite shitty to be honest with you um sure so yeah that's uh oh man i i love that you're you're (laughs) speaking to somebody (laughs) that thinks about language and these kind of things very in-depth and spends way more time than i'm even comfortable verbalizing on this podcast (laughs) just thinking about like simple concepts and breaking them down and you know, asking questions about like, does this language make sense? Are there ways to think about it better so that there, there's more value, there's more gained from the
0: interaction? I, I I agree hundred percent, and and just to to clarify, you know, because again, sometimes I I hear the questions f- from my students in my head, and some of your listeners may ask, well, well, Duncan, why don't you just call it humility? And and the reason why, just just to clarify, I mean, you you, you got the point already, but just for for, for the listeners, perhaps, is that the um, the reason why we cannot call it humility is because uh, like you don't want to see someone like let's say uh, the world champion in, in chess, like Magnus Carlson, to go and say, oh, you know what, I'm not very talented. Th- that, that's that's fake modesty, right? They cannot be humble. He has to be confident. And he needs to say, "I'm the best in the world. That's true. He is like, but but it has to be meta humility because it sits on a different level. I am the best in the world, but you know, I made a great play, but. Maybe I was wrong. I am the uh, blank, but there's always a but, and that but sits at a meta level. It doesn't sit on that level. It's still very confident because we do not want to lose the confidence of the very successful people that we have. That's an important confidence, and and we don't want them to, to, to be like fake, modest. Oh, you know what? Yes, I mean, I was blessed with. No, no, no. People have to be, if they're skillful, they should say that, yeah, I'm skillful. That's what I do well. It makes
1: so much sense to me because, it, yeah, the, the poker application is clearly there as well, right? Like right. what I mentioned earlier about being assertive, having the confidence to make a decision at the poker table that you believe in, even if everybody else doesn't believe right. in what you're doing and yet still humble enough to question it. But that right. hum- humility, like you gave it a different level, right? The, right. the it's, meta it's humility.
0: Right, yep. right. exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: That's your... This this is this is going down to the record books, one of my favorite favorite <laughs> podcast interviews. Like I, I I love all the all these things.
0: I have a lot of time in my hands, I guess. So <laughs> to think about those things these days.
1: Oh man. Yes. Yeah. We we have a lot of time to think, that's sure. for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, what's the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey?
0: Uh, yeah, so, um, it, it actually in, in infused, uh, in more than one ways. And I think that, uh, to, to connect to the previous conversation, it infused, uh, a lot of humility, uh, in, in my life. I, I used to be a very, uh, and I still am to, to a certain, to, 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 a great extent, you know, that's one of my, 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 uh, disadvantages, if you will, my weaknesses I used to be very cocky, like as a, you know, as a kid, incredibly cocky. You know, and I was like, uh, uh, "There's no luck in life. You know, you we make our own luck." All of these things. I was a very cocky son of a gun, and uh, and this is something that I work to to this day. You know, it's like you know, you you make your own destiny. You know, it's like try try your best, and um, and what poker poker you know taught me, and it was quite a huge a huge slap in the face, I should say. Poker taught me that you know sometimes. In life, you do the right thing and you get penalized, and sometimes you do, you do the wrong thing and you get rewarded, and sometimes things do not go your way, Like, uh, um, or like people like Phil Galphon has said in the past, we should not underestimate the fact that some of us talking about like elite players, some of us as in Phil Galphon, not, not people like me, uh We started and we got really lucky at the beginning because we ran harder than the sun at the beginning. So when we didn't know anything about poker, and then we thought, oh, this is a moneymaker. So we stuck around. There were equally intelligent people at the beginning and equally talented people, if you will, intelligent, I don't know if that's the right word, but talented people at the beginning who actually didn't run as hard as we did. And they ended up dropping out of poker before they were able to realize their greatness, so there is a certain lack element to it, not just in poker, but also in, in, in real life, right? And I don't need to go to extreme examples, you know, like people getting like some sort of terminal disease out of nowhere. And Yeah, I, yeah, yeah,
2: the, yeah.
1: The, the way that I try to frame it, you know, I'll frame it for the listener is you need to get gas. You've got 20 miles until you run out of gas and the next gas station is 10 miles away. Right. You stop at the gas station, you get out of your car, you slip in a puddle and break your leg. Was the decision to get gas bad? Exactly. No, it was a good decision. Exactly. It was just a bad That's result, right. bad outcome from that decision, right It's obviously a shitty decision to just keep driving and have no gas and break down on the side of the road. Right. Um, yeah, sometimes in life you do the best that you can and things just don't work out that that exactly. is a an element of being a human and honestly I, I kind of like that element of the element of chance sure. as it relates okay. to the human experience.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think poker would be the same, by the way, without the element of chance. Like I, at some point I pondered the idea again, cockiness, right? Oh, wouldn't it be better when, when we were all in, if you know, everybody was, was getting that EV share, terrible idea. <laughs> one of my terrible ideas, I have a list, by the way, Maybe <laughs> we can do a podcast of all of my terrible ideas. A lot of, a lot of those. So one of my terrible ideas was that, because I thought to myself, it's more fair, but that, that, element of you know surprise is what makes people want to play the game and you know will drive people away from 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 the game
1: yeah it's um, uh we need that chance right I, I think that like i was in a casino one time and thinking to myself like what does a casino sell right and <laughs> i realized that casinos sell casinos sell possibility right and they sell dreams. when you go dreams and when you right. when you play a hand of blackjack and like you bet whatever a meaningful amount of money is to you and the dealer is shuffling the cards and then they're exposing the cards like ultimately the value that we gain is that experience right That right, ex- that right. tentative experience of not knowing the outcome and what's going to happen next and ultimately that's what the casino sells is that experience of pressing a button on the slot machine and thinking well we could hit a jackpot um we probably won't but the possibility is there And that emotion is there and poker is the same. Like you get it in and, you know, you have aces against uh, somebody else has jacks and like they spike a Jack, right? Right, right. That feeling the same with the casino is there. And I think that's just a big draw. You know, it's what allows people the short term luck where they can have great success despite not being a super
0: strong player. Um, And that's very appealing. Very appealing. And that's, by the way, I know a lot of my mathematicians' friends are going to start throwing stuff at their screens right now. But (laughs) the the thing is that, uh, you know, that's why how you turn a minus EV lottery ticket into quote unquote plus EV, right? Because there is the the external value, the extrinsic value uh, of the dream. So some people pay for that dream and it's perfectly okay. So, you know, mathematically speaking, it may not make sense to buy a lottery ticket, but if someone puts value on that dream, who are we to say don't buy it? You know that is a that is another greatness bomb
1: and something that I have never even thought about the lottery in, in those terms. But you're absolutely right. The emotional gain you get is likely worth it if that's how you're wired and and it gives you some sense of happiness, right? Like if you're wired in that way, the emotional gain outweighs the monetary loss, and that is a really big deal. Changing gears for a little bit. Uh, what do you think about joy in your career, playing, teaching, cards? What's the first memory that comes to mind?
0: Yeah, so it, it's actually fairly recent. Uh, I, I would say one of the most joyful moments, funny enough, it, it wasn't about me. It was uh, when my wife, uh, she, she, actually, uh, she actually binged her first tournament. And it, 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 she she actually didn't know how to play poker, and I remember at the time it, it was an amazing feeling. Like I, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm very biased, though. I love her very much. So, but the uh, I, I remember because she didn't know anything about uh, about uh, about poker at all. And I said, I- I'm writing this manuscript. Do you want to like take a look at it? And then she actually read it. She's like, Oh, I can apply some of these things. And she, not the first tournament she played, obviously, but you know when when she actually did it, it was it was like. A, a, beautiful moment for me i don't know i felt really really joyful
1: yeah yeah i that it's funny how other people's experiences we kind of get the get the joy um yeah. from those experiences in, in my case sometimes it's even more like you said more than what we feel right like yeah. a friend plays a massive pot and wins and you can i can just feel how happy they are about that right, result exactly. and it, like it yeah. makes me happier than winning a big pot sometimes <laughs> like it's uh it's a strange thing the opposite question. So, when you think about pain in your career in cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind?
0: I, I guess that would be one time. That, that's the first thing that came to mind. Just just being honest here, I, I have I have a lot of poker. <laughs> it's, it's a love hate relationship, as you can imagine. But I have I had a moment where I broke what uh, later became like my number one rule, and that is never bring more money. Uh, to the casino than you can afford to lose, and that was a night where I did two withdrawals from my ATM, and I felt, I felt it, it wasn't like you know, uh, like uh, life breaking money or anything like that. Uh, although I shouldn't be excusing myself now, it's it's just that I felt I was, I, I lost control, and that was something for someone, you know, who who likes to be as organized as possible. You know, that felt like I wasn't in control, and that hurt me
1: yeah emotions they're emotions, yeah, they're hell, right. hell of a thing um they they drive us even when you know emotions beat logic 10 days out of 10 and that's just how we're wired as human beings and right. I, again i wouldn't have it any other way i think that like most of the joy in life comes from just these emotions just excitement fe- uh fear yeah. angst anxiety uh love uh anger passion all that yeah. stuff um
0: how about yours? Like joyful moments, like best or worst moments. Like what? 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 What would you would you say? I would say like
1: for me, joyful moment. Uh, what, what immediately comes to mind is just a hand that I played very early on in my career, where I made a call with like third pair, playing <laughs> playing uncapped, uh, a big uncapped game, and you know what was then maybe like a two five game and like a four or five thousand dollar pot, and just like looking at the data making a read on a specific player and then executing um and being totally right right it was like this dude dude has queen jack like i just knew
0: you knew the exact hand
1: i knew the exact hand it was like uh i think i had like queen five and the flop was like 10 five deuce and it was a shitload of ways uh pre-flop and beautiful it checks around and i was like looking at the guy because i'm always like looking at people trying to see how they react to the flop and how they react to the board and like he just like not interested at all check back the turn was a nine and i bet out and he raised me really big and i was like this just doesn't make any sense like pocket nines is going to consider betting here like he didn't even he wasn't interested at all so i called and then like the river i think the river was an ace and it was like i checked and he made a massive bet
0: and i was like well, whatever, let's go. Um, <laughs> when a scare card is not scare card. That's what Phil Galfin used to say in 2008. <laughs> yeah, when a scare card is not a scare
1: card. Um, I think that just that hand, maybe a year into my career or so, playing professionally solidified that like, yeah, I trust myself, I'm good at this game, and I'm going to be able to do this for a long time if, if I so choose. And so that's a moment of joy, right? It was like validation of my career choice.
0: Absolutely. That sounds like a great, great moment. Yeah, uh, and and I don't want to I don't want to you know bring you any any pain by remembering your painful moments, so you don't have to share that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I pain is pain is a lot. It's a lot more difficult to quantify because I, I sort yeah. of spin the painful moments in my career. I, I look at the long game, and even Black Friday, I look at as a blessing that changed my life for the better. Oh, yeah. Which is. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that there are lessons to learn even in even in the painful moments. And
0: right.
1: yeah, so I don't really have anything for pain off the top of my head. Although if you gave me enough time, I could come up with a very clear <laughs> answer to that question. Okay. Um, what would you say is the most high impact action players can take to improve their game?
0: I think, um, I, I know this is going to sound like very weird, but I would say mindfulness. And I don't mean it in a necessarily like in a metaphysical way but mindfulness would be an example like um let me give you a, a, let me paint a picture sitting at the table um you're not involved in a hand playing on your phone i would say that that's probably not going to help the, the the game because uh, one of the one of the best ways for someone to 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 improve would be to uh, take advantage of the um, of the data. You mentioned data before, of the data as they come to them. So you're sitting at a table, here's data presenting itself to you. You have an opportunity to learn from other people's mistakes. And then because it's boring, I mean, one plays on the phone. So I would say mindfulness, like be, be present in the moment, try to see what information you can, you can extract. Because again, I mean, I'm talking mostly about, about live play, but also that applies online as well. People are playing, see what they're doing. I like to play mini games sometimes, you know? Okay, so putting people on ranges when I'm not involved in the hand and then try to see if I'm right or wrong. That can help because this is, you're more efficient at the table. You try to um, take advantage of dead time, essentially.
1: Yeah, and you're getting data that can inform future decisions, right? Like in my my play and explain videos, one of the things that I I try to do is even in hands that I'm not involved in, I look at the behaviors, the actions my opponents are taking and I'm like, oh, that's weird like they use a weird sizing there on the river, right? Like you never know when that information is going to be the difference between a big call and a big fold and how much of your win rate actually hinges on those little data points that are they're publicly available, right? Anybody right. can access right. them. Right. So like it's just a shame to not pay attention to it and to like miss right. something where – your whole evening could hinge on if you were paying attention and had this data point. You would have chosen an action in this massive pot, and you never even know. Like you just you think you got unlucky, and reality was you just weren't paying enough attention.
0: I, I, I agree, hundred percent. I think it's, it's 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 very important, and and, and a lot of things. Um, I'm, I'm I'm talking about that, uh, that that idea. You know that uh, sometimes it's 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 important to uh, an incorrect assumption. Is better than no assumption at all, and but without, what do I mean by that? Is that you know, like if you have an incorrect assumption, at some point you're going to get contradicting evidence, and if you do get contradicting evidence, that's great because you're going to improve upon. But in order to get the contradicting evidence, you have to pay attention. Yeah, because there's never going to be a contradicting evidence, you know, uh, if 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 we're not paying attention. Hard to disprove a theory if you don't have a theory. That's correct. Exactly. Exactly. It's important. It doesn't matter how crazy it is. That's why I like my students when they tell me crazy things. Yeah. So. It's 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 it it's important. Oh, it, it's Dang.
1: vastly important as somebody that plays poker to just pay attention and collect data and parse the information and prioritize, and that's how you level up your game. That's how you make better decisions in the moment at the poker table.
0: Right. And, and um, it's, it's actually difficult. That level of concentration is actually is actually difficult.
1: Oh, in today's day and age, it's especially difficult because you know guys like my friend in Silicon Valley, the software developer, like I, I learn. Exactly how bi- behind the scenes work and you know, yeah. they pay somebody 500 bucks an hour to spend 10 hours developing the perfect color that optimizes right. use of their app, right? And they Make gladly it do it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everything is optimized in that way. You pick up your smartphone, like there are billions and billions of dollars invested into taking as much of your attention as humanly possible. So that's actually why I, I have a little flip phone now because I just got sick of it. I was like, oh, I, I can't it. win. I can't win. <laughs> like the billions of dollars is going to beat me every day of the week, and I want my attention back. So I put it down. And I, as it relates to poker, though, like this, I love it. This stimulation, always getting that dopamine hit when you get a notification, when you check your phone, it's a major problem as it relates to focusing, being in the moment, you know, when it matters at, at the poker table.
0: I I I agree 100%. I think that's 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 incredibly important. You're just better than me. I actually don't have a phone at all. So that was a conscious decision I made a few years back. So I'm basically when when I need to to I mean when I say I don't have a phone I mean I have a landline. I don't have like a a cell phone. Uh, I I'm I'm actually like terrified because it started a few years ago and now I'm t- I'm terrified to actually have a device in my hands. It's going to be so distracting. I'm thinking I'm not going to get anything done in the day. So
1: Yeah, I <laughs> Everybody like that I've told thinks that it's crazy. Actually, actually, they don't think it's crazy. They think that's a great idea, but I could never do it because of X, X, Y, Z. Right? Like that's the qualification.
0: Right. My Um, friend tells me that all the time. Oh, you're brilliant! And he has like as he's staring at his two cell phones. (laughs) Yeah,
1: like my wife was the other uh, maybe like a year ago. She was on her computer, right, and she was checking her email, and like I could see the email up, and then she was on her phone also checking her email at the same time, and I'm like. What is happening here? Like, <laughs> like this is just how powerful um, and how, yeah. how great these developers are at pulling our attention. They're, they're, it's a battle that we can't win as human beings. So the only way I've decided I can win is to remove myself from having the opportunity.
0: I, th- I think that's great. I think that's great. And actually, you know, uh, t- 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 just to again to, to 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 be fair, I think technology overall has more benefits than than disadvantages. We just have to find the proper way to implement it into our lives. And, yeah. and you know, I, I don't I don't think that's again, one of, I don't think that my solution is the best solution by any means. So that's part of the list of terrible ideas like not having a cell phone. That would be right up there, but you know, I'm, I'm I'm sticking to it for the moment because I don't have a better solution, but uh but yeah. I think
1: that like, you know, it's a good tool, but a terrible master. And right. that's that's just kind of how I frame it. Um, and by like the way, it. like, like you, you get a flip phone that like you can't, you can't like, you'll just use it for texting and calling, I promise. That's there's it. there's nothing else that you can do. Uh, I like that idea. I didn't actually know that they were, they, they, they were flip
0: phone. I mean, it
1: makes oh, sense. You can yeah. go to like lightphone.com and they have specific phones designed as tools that don't allow you to do anything other than like call, text, listen to podcasts. Beautiful. Um, yeah, they Beautiful. learn something every
0: day. I they, love there it. There you go.
1: Look, I totally get it. You feel like being a lone wolf in your poker journey has hamstrung your ability to realize your full potential. So I'm about to give you a golden opportunity to plug into a supportive tribe that will be the poker family you've always wished you had. How much money would you give for one hour of interactive group coaching led by myself, Coach Thomas, and occasionally past guests of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast? For now, and this will absolutely change at some point in the near future, the price of admission to the Live Poker Power Hour is 100% free. All you've got to do to get your invite is head to chasingpokergreatness.com and hop on the VIP newsletter. No more excuses, no more procrastination. It's time to take action and put yourself in position to turn your poker dreams into reality. I hope to see that beautiful face of yours in just a couple of days. What do you think folks who chase their poker dreams don't spend enough time thinking about?
0: Uh, bankroll management. I would say, like, I know it's very, very, very practical, but that's that has been... Like for all the conversations that I've been having with people and, you know, like even my students, you know, they get a little bit bored when I start t- talking about that stuff. I, there used to be, um, and I mean that with, with a lot of love, there used to be a a quote from Doyle Branson. I remember when I was starting out, every poker player once in their lives, they've, they've gone broke. That That was the quote. So it wasn't that he's saying he should go broke or anything like that, or they should go broke. Uh, his argument was that it's it's kind of inevitable. It, that quote always bothered me a little bit. Um, in, in this, I mean, obviously Doyle, a legend, and he lived in different times. And also, we can argue with 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 data. So he 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 says what's what's out there. Uh, so it, it, it must be the case. And actually, I, I had a lot of friends with with similar issues. But the reason why that quote bothered me is because I always felt how can you be a successful businessman if you allow your company to go bankrupt? So I always felt that's a huge, that's a major issue. Now it's understandable to say, okay, I'm going to take a lot of risks, but not a lot of meta risks. Again, thinking at a higher level. So for example, I mean, some people who have like many jobs, they will say, listen, I mean, I'm going to take my poker bankroll to to the extreme, but I have this side income. So I'm, I'm protected that way. That's perfectly fine. But I found people, you know, who were taking like shots, like especially in those uh, high stakes um, poker games, how many professionals and really big names and their stories, how they ended up, which is which, which is very, very sad. I mean, these successful people who ended up being either broke or, or near broke or not being able to play. And then we have all these scandals of, you know, all of these loans that they never get paid back and all of these things. And I think that is, that is incredibly important. And, you know, when people like Dusty Schmidt, for example, said, you know, treat your poker like a business. I, I I think that's, that's a valid, that's a valid suggestion. It is very, very important. We can't afford to go broke to me. Like going broke is the, uh, the ultimate sin, Uh, so to speak. Yeah. And, 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 and and I want to be very understanding because like, there is a lot of variance in this game and, and a lot of things can go bad, but, basically what i would say is that just think as if everything that can will go bad no like kind of like as in as in worst case scenario not as in a pessimistic situation but because uh, you know bankman to me at least that's that's why when you ask me about a painful moment is when i actually went into this <laughs> rampage of no i can beat these guys yeah. because i'm better you know and, and 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 to me that felt well duncan if things didn't go your way you know you get one step closer Towards, towards bankruptcy, which is a big no-no.
1: Yep, and and, you know there is another. There's an argument too that most successful business owners do go broke <laughs> early right. on their, their businesses do go bankrupt early right. on. And, you know, their wisdom and lessons that you could learn. But I sure. remember reading Mike Caro, and Mike Caro right. uh, wrote a lot about bankroll management back in the day. I think very underrated poker teacher, um, mm-hmm. early, early poker teacher. And, you know, he said like money for the poker player is like, that is your tool, right? Like right. it's, it's the equivalent of a printer selling his printing press to like, but pay for life, right? Well, right, right. congrats, you you paid for your life, but now you have no way of making money moving forward. So, like, protecting your bankroll becomes at some point paramount importance. And I, I want to be clear too, because I I've talked about this a bunch of times on my show. Like, I don't care about protecting two thousand right. dollars. Two thousand bankroll means nothing to me. Like it's like you can get a job, you can save money, and you can rebuild that that sort of small bankroll. But like once you have a hundred thousand, now that's something that's worthy of protection, right? You you don't want to go broke from that point, so you have to practice um, responsible bankroll management. You know whether that's you know one of my guys in in my group, he's a crushing MTC player. He sells action now, like he sells action in the group because he he doesn't want to go broke Um, and sometimes you just got to do that do that so that you survive so that you can make a career and you know i, I say all this with the knowledge that like phil galfon was the man that we've spoken about multiple times came on this show and like he was a shot taker right like he had an right, eight absolutely. eight hundred thousand dollar bankroll and he lost half of it in one night right um but he was able to move down and then rebuild and i right. think that he's more the exception than the rule as it yeah. relates to that most guys they lose 400k they're likely to lose the other 400k before they move down so yeah i think knowing yourself understanding your emotions just being logical and and treating your situation as your own and trying to do the best that you can
0: Uh, absolutely and 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 and, and to be fair here because i don't want to sound like like i'm preaching or anything like that I I, I, I I do want to re- reiterate the fact that we said earlier, it really does matter what your situation is, right? What the situation is. Your question was, what is the thing that people are not thinking about? I'm mm-hmm. not saying that people necessarily should not go broke, but this is something that they're not thinking about. That's, that's the answer to your question. Yep. And for example, like early on, People can take different risks than later in life if, if you know your situation is that you, you're already kind of almost broke anyway, you might as well take something I mean you're young you know you can do other things that's yeah. you know the, as long as you thought about it you know as long as it's a calculated risk like you know the Phil Galfin story I, I, I was like you, very arrogant when I was younger <laughs> and I, I at least got one thing right. I knew that when I was 20
1: that if I went broke, I could just get a job and right. nobody depended on me, I had a safety net like so there you go if i went broke i still had options and so going broke wasn't that painful it wasn't something that i feared that much um plus i was 20 so generally not afraid of things because of just pure stupidity like i've had
0: (laughs) as a 20 year old you know that's that's the best way of putting it yeah (laughs)
1: like i I went from playing 510 limit to 510 no limit i Remember multiple times early in my career where I had my entire bankroll on the table in front of me, like playing in uncapped games. And yeah, it didn't seem like that much of a risk because nobody was really depending on me and I had I had safety nets in place.
0: But you're, you're, like the way you're thinking about it, you're thinking in terms of meta protection, you're meta protecting yourself, right? So yeah. you may be incredibly risky at the level of poker, but you have all these all these other plans, you know, like all these safety nets. So to me, that, that, that's fine. That's what I'm talking about. If you thought about it, clearly, I'm saying that people, you know- Don't think about it, yeah. Exactly, from, from the conversations I have anyway, you know, so this- Some, sometimes, it, sometimes you ought to be riskier with your bankroll. Right. And this right.
1: is a, a situation that, Uh, popped up from somebody that i'm close to they were getting staked for a very long time and they were successful every single year month in and month out they're winning poker players but they weren't able to earn enough money to build their own bankroll so they couldn't kind of get out from under staking and i'm like dude you just gotta save up 5k and take shots with that 5k and like eventually it'll stick and then you'll be on your own right like if you go to zero you just save up again and take another shot but like The money you can gain by not being backed is so much more um, that you just kind of have to be risky, uh, risky, and trying to trying to build your bankroll. So, again, there's no one size fits all solution. Just logic your way through it. Try to come to a good conclusion and do the best you can. Absolutely. Opposite of that question, what do you think folks spend way too much time thinking about?
0: Uh, Bad beats, maybe, or like you know, bad bad things that happened. Uh, I would say. So like, and when I say bad beats, I mean it not, you know, Oh, you know, my ACE has got cracked. I'm talking about, you know, like that, that moment where, you know, Oh, I was, I bubbled out this very important tournament or, you know, I, um, I, I topped at the, I, 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 I mean, I bumped at the top of my opponent's range and, 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 and and, and, and things like that. And I think that um, there is so much variance in, in this game that, um, these things can actually wear us, wear us out eventually, right?
1: I want to get a little bit more meta with sure. that because sure. I, I totally agree sure. with you. I think people spend way too much time trying to manufacture ways to get out of unavoidable scenarios. Like mm-hmm. they, yep, they f- get set over set, and then they start like, "How could I have prevented that? Was there another way to play this?" And it's like, no, like it just happened, and it's a bad okay. thing, and it sucks. It doesn't feel good, but like you couldn't change it. We can't retroactively go back and like change our strategy to avoid that situation, especially if it's a really solid and good strategy. And I think that's what causes people a lot of angst. They, they don't have an anchor. Their strategy has no anchor. They're trying to, you know, alter their strategy to avoid all kinds of bad situations when like, that is not the point of poker and that will drive you crazy. And that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Recipe for disaster. Can I make a suggestion for this? Which I also, I mean, and, and something uh, food for thought, not necessarily a suggestion. Which also happens to be the uh, the largest uh, chapter of, of my book because I think this is a very big issue. May I? Yeah, and, and also oh, t- uh, tell us about your book because I, uh, I certainly oh, yeah. want, to, want to spend some time talking. Oh about yeah, it no, no 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 worries about it. But because of of, of that question it's the, um, it, it's the idea that, um, that inevitability that you're talking about, right? I think that that inevitability is highly tied to randomness in in, in, in many ways, right? And, and, and the idea that like little things, you know, that our aces against their kings, you know, they're only four to one, they're not going to win every time, you know, we're about to lose, or the fact that sometimes we're going to have the second nuts versus the first nuts and all that stuff. I think, Although we cannot attack this rationally fully because a lot of it is emotional and it has to be attacked emotionally and that, you know, I guess somebody else's territory, the one rational thing that I'm going to say about it, I feel that there is a perspective switch that it's at least worth trying it out for some individuals. And what is that perspective switch? Are you familiar with uh, you know like the the, the famous uh, quantum experiment you know with uh, with the cat Schrodinger's cat like they, oh Schrodinger's cat like you killed the cat when you discover it right exactly which is that that, that idea which which by the way not, not now I'm gonna anger all of my physicist friends right they're gonna say no this is not the interpretation <laughs> uh, but let me let me let me very, very simply simplify the, the idea is that basically in quantum mechanics is that sometimes uh, things in a certain sense are and aren't at the same time is what they call superposition, right? They're in this fuzzy situation. And then Schrodinger came up with this uh, this idea to explain how ridiculous that is. He basically said, wait, if things are and aren't, can I create like a quantum mechanical switch that basically does and doesn't go off and and kills and doesn't kill a cat? So maybe the cat is sitting there, which is dead and alive. And of course he was pointing out, you know, the craziness of, of quantum mechanics. This is known as, you know, when you open the box, it's known as the collapse of the wave function. But I do think that there's an incredible, incredible uh, helpful tip for poker players there, even though clearly this is, you know, has nothing to do with quantum mechanics. The idea of the cat being dead and alive at the same time is helpful to poker players because it teaches us the concept that just because our opponent had hand X, it doesn't mean it's the only hand they can have in that situation, right? And this is a this is an idea that people are very familiar with. Oh yeah, Duncan, you're talking about ranges, of course, right? But I'm talking a little bit more about that. I'm not because in in actuality we know that our opponent has a specific hand. Like your opponent had Queen Jack, that was the hand they had. It wasn't magically something else. However. If we could think, if we convince ourselves that we're kind of—and of course, this is uh, this is a, a thought experiment. It's not reality, but it's it's a good proxy of reality. I would argue, if we convince ourselves that we're playing against not one opponent, but we're playing against thousand different opponents, and we just so happen that we were shown Queen Jack, but that hand was actually not always Queen Jack. Sometimes it was Kings. Sometimes it was a set. Sometimes it was something else. Basically, by showing us the Queen Jack. We don't know we lost, right? Because it could have been the other opponent with, with the key or whatever whatever the situation is. Just by showing one hand, it doesn't mean anything. So like in, in poker, I would summarize it, a hand is not relevant for the hand we just uh, played. It's only relevant for future hands because it gives us information about what our opponents could be doing, right? So that's the idea that our opponent didn't really have that hand he had a mixture of hands so that and and i know it's very rational right and it's and i'm very well aware that you know there are emotional aspects in place but I, I i i find often that like people are very mad at themselves because the opponent actually ended up having hand x and then somehow deep inside they feel they should have um, uh, thought about hand acts, if, if, even David Sklansky, when he calls about, talks about the fundamental theorem of poker, he says, if we could see our opponent hand. But the idea of if we could see our opponent hand is actually distracting because it makes us think that our opponent has a hand, even though I, I like to believe that our opponent does never have a hand, has something that goes like this, a fuzzy mixture of things. So if we just take a glimpse at one piece of that fuzzy mixture, we really... Uh, don't get the full the 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 the, the full mixture does that make sense yeah yeah you're you're both right and wrong at the same time
2: i love Um,
1: it (laughs) you're
0: you know you're at
1: the moment that you make the call you're both right right and wrong and yeah it's um it's a hard thing to internalize that right you're you're playing against I mean, it's it's a hard thing for a lot of folks to kind of come to terms with. Uh, And yet, it's absolutely essential that you do come to terms with it if you want to be successful as a poker player. And uh, I I think too, like, you get data, you get feedback on like, when you're really wrong, right? When you make Mm -hmm. a call, and you're like, somebody has a hand that you never even considered is like, wow, like, again, going back to what we said before, like an opportunity to learn, upgrade your thought process and ask yourself like, huh, did I miss something that I I could have used to do a better job of analyzing this hand? Tell me about why Alex beats Bobby at poker, developing a fundamental fund. Why Chris, you can edit that out. (laughs) Why? Why Alex beats Bobby at poker, developing a fundamentally sound approach to poker. Why did you write the book and you know, why should the listener go scoop it up on Amazon?
0: Uh, uh, well, OK, so the, the, one of the main questions uh, I've been trying to answer in myself is why is it poker a game of skill? Uh, I mean, we all understand there's the chance element, but why the the skill part outweighs the, the the chance element? What is it, you know, that that professional poker players do better than amateurs? So essentially, this book is my attempt to try and answer that question. So I'm trying to answer that question: Why is it that money flows from from amateurs to professionals in the long run? And uh, it's surprisingly difficult for myself, anyway. I noticed to 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 vocalize some of these ideas because, you know, intuitively we, we play a lot. We we know that certain things are just, you know, quote unquote better than other things and we just do them. We know that, you know, that we should be folding like seven deuce, you know, the seven deuce is somehow worse than, than three deuce. And we kind of like three deuce and we kind of do these kind of things instinctively. But I, I was trying to dig deeper, and I was I, I was having these voices, so to speak, in my head, which are basically my students, <laughs> um, and m- m- asking all those questions, and you know, you know, pestering me, and I mean it lovingly, of course. Uh, with with all, of, I, I love these the, these questions. Why this? What if my opponent is that? What if my opponent is that? So I was trying to dig deeper, deeper, and deeper to fundamental essentials. Why is it that that poker is basically a game of skill? And I tried to basically break it down. Yeah, so and that is. Uh... That is a tough question. That is a tough. uh, uh, You know what? I'm glad you say that's a tough question because I have people say, "Come on, poker is easy, man. You have to be patient." You know, like it's like, no, I don't think so. At least it's not easy for me. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, it's it's,
1: it's not easy for me to quantify exactly why some people are better at poker than others. And you know, it kind of goes back to a question I asked myself maybe six months ago that made me feel a little bit shameful for never even asking the question. And it was like, why? why do I have a base pre-flop strategy? And right. like, right. you know, it was a question that I never even considered. I just have right. one and I didn't consider like the strategic element of it. Like, right. why do I have it? Why do I trust this? Why does this thing exist? And, right. you know, that exists at every single level and every single point of the decision tree. Like, why do I have confidence in this spot? Why do I believe in my ability to read other players' intentions and right. choose a counter strategy towards what they're trying to accomplish. And it's very complex. Like, (laughs) again, the level of complexity just goes through the roof. And if you're able to distill that in this book, I, I mean, that's like magic. (laughs) Like that is incredible achievement.
0: Let, 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 let's let, let's call it a start. You know, like I'm I'm trying I'm trying my best to to answer those questions and and and, and I guess one of the uh, that's why I mean I have to to warn the the listeners because I'm I'm constantly answering those questions in my head or I'm attempting to that's 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 a more accurate way to answer some questions in my head. This book also has like something like 300 plus footnotes, which I try to put them on the bottom, because there's so much nuance, you know, and I can hear my students screaming, but Duncan, you know, I mean, what if my opponent has a flash drawer here? What if they, you know, like, I hear these, this kind of uh, objections, and, and I think they're valid objections, like all of them, but at the same time, it is important to get to the bottom line first, and then try to build nuance from there. Otherwise, things can get overwhelming, right? I mean, there's clearly like a lot of a lot of details in all of these things, and in and in quantum mechanics, Nash's theorem, and you know, my my attempt is not to butcher any of that stuff. It's just to <laughs> give like a first flavor so that you know we can build from there and then go into, into the details next.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it, again, like it's a hard thing to prove. It's a hard thing right. to exactly quantify. Like it, it's extremely nuanced and. Yeah, that is a challenge that whew, I, I, I'm glad that I'm glad you undertook it and not me, because um just teaching people poker and improving their games and figuring out where they're going wrong, identifying leaks and suggesting upgrades, you know, even that is like all consuming. Um how do how do we do this simply? How how do I transfer knowledge? How do I get them to ask the right questions? It's uh it, it's all way more difficult than I think anybody else really can appreciate.
0: (laughs) Thank you. No, this is very much the fact that you uh, appreciate how difficult that question is actually makes me feel very, very, very good, because that's one of the things that I thought people would say, oh, Duncan, you're talking about the obvious stuff. And as I I thought if it was obvious, like we wouldn't have, you know, any controversy around the game, the game would be completely legal, wouldn't have any issues. (laughs) So, yeah,
1: um, Yeah, it's certainly, certainly not obvious. And yeah, it's like a weight on me just even imagining that question.
0: And just to give you like a very quick idea, so that because I also like to be practical, it's not I mean, here we're talking about I mean, the gist of, uh, gist of the book, but like, I'm, I'm trying to look for innate properties. And what do I mean by innate properties of the game? I don't know if you play any chess at all. Uh do you I play don't. Chess or, okay. Uh, basically, you know, the basic idea, there are two opposing armies, you know, and um, one of them controls the white army, and the other one controls the black army, and it turns out that uh, the white army always starts first. So, That actually, we have evidence that suggests that uh, on average, the database shows that people who start first, they have an edge. They have a a 3% edge. I forget what the exact number is, but they have a meaningful edge. So to me, that's an important question. And these are the type of questions that I'm trying to relate to poker. Like why position gives edge to people? Why card advantage gives edge to people? You know, how can people save money in like why how can get in a situation where instead of betting eight blinds they can get away with betting seven and, and 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 things like that so trying to i, I understand these kind of things and also randomness which is a, a big <laughs> a big subject for me very complicated subject randomness and our disability my disability before everybody else's to feel randomness intuitively and how to work around it and all of these mental yeah. constructions the
1: one, one of the books that we've gone through is uh rock break, scissors and it's all about randomness and humans inability right. to be random and like we're just not we, we just Absolutely. can't we th- what what doesn't feel random is a lot of times actually random and yes you know what feels random is almost never actual randomness
0: that's that's exactly exactly correct It goes back to random number generators which are not really it's basically pseudo random yeah that's, that's a very good point. And, and for your listeners and, and, and for yourself, Brad, there's also another another great book by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, uh, Fooled by Randomness. He's the author of, of The Black Swan, also. So, they also talks about that. And randomness is something, <laughs> it's an interesting beast, uh, to say the it, least. It
1: is. And, you know, like I said earlier about language and investigating language, like I have investigated just the words that we use to describe the actions we take at the poker table, right? Like I bet. And what's interesting about just saying that you bet is there's like, it's like a tool, you know? There's like five or 10 different things that you can be trying to accomplish with this bet, but the word itself is so not specific that right. it, that we often verbalize, I bet because of X, Y, Z. And I'm like, right. why don't we just call this exact bet a thing and give it a name so that we know what we're doing intuitively and like even... Thinking about all the multi-uses of like a bet or a check or a call, um, even that is overwhelming. And it's extremely Absolutely. simple to think about, but it's overwhelming finding all the utilities, giving them precise definitions, and making sure that you know, they're executable in game.
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because these are basically the last two chapters of the book. I'm trying to dissect the bet. And yeah. what is it like? What, what does it mean to bed? You know, what is the intrinsic value of a bed? What is the extrinsic value of the bed? And like, it's it's you know, again, so whether whether or not you know I succeeded, you know, only only time will tell. You know, but uh, I'm more than happy to discuss those things with people who who have questions, and you know, it's
1: oh, when we let, let's let get off of here. A conversation. Yeah, I'm I'm certainly going to be getting your book and diving in and seeing, reading, and learning more because this is like right up my alley. It it makes me excited. Um, We have uh, a couple lightning round questions, and then yeah, we'll we'll get you out of here, man. If you could gift, speaking of books, all poker players one book to read, it doesn't necessarily have to be about poker. What would it be? Uh, The Black Swan. Why the Black Swan?
0: Oh, okay. I thought there was a lightning. I was like ready to. Yeah, so uh, yeah. Light, lightning. Yes, I do okay. like to know the lightning. lightning. Okay, and I was like, I, I was ready, and I was leaning. Yeah. No, uh, I would say because uh, this is probably the e- e- epitome of um, of randomness from one of the top experts in the world, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Uh, he is like a, a tail uh, risk expert, so he understands. He he talks about things. Uh, which go beyond the controlled environment of poker, um, where where randomness gets even crazier. But I think it would be a very good a, a very good uh, exposure uh, of of poker players to to to, to, to randomness to, to to realize that this is like a real untamable beast. So that can help with you now creating some sort of respect for for what variance is and and be ready because sometimes. Part of the reason why I, I feel, at least, again, and a lot of it is also personal experience. Part of the reason why randomness has been difficult for me is that because it was it was hurting my ego a lot, and it still does, you know, to a certain extent. So I feel that once we understand that beast and we understand that it is pretty much nothing we can do about it, you know, our ego doesn't get hurt as much. <laughs> does that make sense? Right? It's, oh, it does for sure. Yeah. So it's it's the it's the idea that you know I I, I guess it was my cockiness, the fact that I thought. I could I could rise above this randomness because I don't know because of my facial hair I don't know why I thought I <laughs> could do that but for some reason you know but but understanding what a tame, uh, untamable beast it is I think um, that would be um, yeah non poker uh, so go ahead
1: oh I was gonna say I, I went back. Um, to watch like Stu Unger's performance when he won the WSOP, maybe the second time. And they didn't really have whole cards up, but you could think the announcers would talk about the hands when they get it in. And like, he got it in bad like three times in a row and like won (laughs) every one. Right. Right. And it it just goes, goes to show you that like you need to run good. Like whoever like Chris Moneymaker obviously had to run ultra amazing to win the, like all these guys, Um, there is this this massive element of randomness that, everybody is victimized by and or they're either victimized or I guess hero fied. I don't know. I don't right. know the exact. Yeah. No, that's good. Yeah. But um, yeah. And we just have to accept that. That's a, that's a fun part of life. Again, the unknown, it's not fun knowing, knowing how everything is going to turn out always.
0: Right. right. And, and, and speaking actually of, of Stu Anger, you reminded me of another book, one of a kind, uh, which is basically uh, a, a documentary essentially of, of, uh um, There's actually an actual documentary and a book. Uh, The the book is amazing, has a lot of stories. It's actually a a cautionary tale, I would say. It's an interesting cautionary tale for for every poker player. I would say that these cautionary tales together with books like, you know, Treat Your Poker Like Business from from Dusty Schmidt, also known as Leatheras. these are, I think, books that are more helpful than the strategies themselves because it's easier to build the strategies when the fundamentals are solid and sound.
1: Yeah, and I did a poker goat challenge trying to find the best poker player of all time. Just a little fun <laughs> fun experiment on Twitter. And I had a really tough time ranking Stu Unger. My my heart wanted to rank him much lower than I feel like the population viewed him as, just because, you know, I've heard lots of stories that like he was a very emotional guy. Right. And had some huge downside into letting his emotions kind of take over. And that to me makes you lesser of a poker player at the end of the right. day, you know.
0: The disadvantage. That's right. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
1: All right. If you could erect a billboard. Every poker player has got to drive past on the way to the card room. What does it say?
0: That's an interesting question. I've never thought actually about that. A, a, a board.
1: It's right up your alley because simplification, simplifying right. a complex idea, I can see right. the, <laughs> this, yeah, is a, no. this is a tough one for you.
0: Yeah, that, that is indeed. That is indeed, indeed it, 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 it's a tough question. I, I may sound cheesy, but I would probably say two words. Be yourself. Be yourself. I think again, it sounds very cheesy, probably not. Not, but I think this comes down from the uh, a little bit of my heritage there too, from the ancient Greeks. I think the idea of like knowing, knowing, knowing thyself, know thyself. That idea. I, I know it's it's a cliche these days, but the, the reason why I'm saying this is because um, part of be yourself has to do. Do not try to imitate things that you heard somewhere else. Try to whatever you do, try to be to make it yours. So if you don't do it well, it's going to be easier to change it because it's yours to begin with, right? So it's going to be yourself, not somebody else that you will never be able to imitate. Nobody can do you better than yourself.
1: So uh, yeah. I love that. That is that is uh, another greatness bomb, and I absolutely agree. Be yourself. What's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart?
0: Yes, near and dear to my heart, and I probably shouldn't be working on that project. <laughs> um, I'm actually working on a project um, – uh, talking about the concept of um, with everything that that happened recently with the pandemic and all of the the difficulties in communication and uh, th- that's where I, actually the idea of meta humility came from. I, again, the poker background helped a lot. So I'm I'm trying to dissect a dialogue. How can we humans create a conversation so that we're able to listen to one another while maintaining like that meta humility that we, there's so many things that we don't know and yet we can open our ears and and, and, and listen to one another because I feel it is something that we need desperately the, the idea of, of a dialogue and uh I am so <laughs> afraid to get this thing out there because I know that this is a very controversial <laughs> subject but that's doesn't matter man
1: that's yeah, yeah. you're doing the noble work. I, I that that is absolutely something that society needs more of and you know it's uh we live in the disinformation age and we live into the name we live in the age of false narratives and people getting hunkered down in their beliefs as if all of their beliefs are the capital t truth and nothing could be further from the capital t truth and yeah just creating a dialogue and, and having conversations and realizing like I don't want to live in a world where I feel like everybody ought to believe all the same things that I believe, you know, and I also don't want to live in a world where I feel like I can't defend anybody's different beliefs than my own. So mm-hmm. I have to be consciously aware of what everybody believes all the time and respect that I, I just think that like, seek forgiveness, people believe differently than you, that's the human experience and sure. have dialogues and sometimes those dialogues are going to be tough and sometimes you're going to learn that maybe you're not as smart as you thought you were and maybe you should have changed your perspective or whatever but again it doesn't feel good but that's that's how you grow you you never grow if you have all the answers and you're always right very well said thanks man and uh yeah again you're doing the noble work and uh, i'll be excited to (sighs) learn more about that project whenever you you put it out there and final question is: uh, Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the world wide web?
0: Yeah, uh, I guess the easiest place to find me would probably be on Twitter uh, at uh, another cheesy title that was the only that was available at the time. That was eight years ago that I got uh, at ask the math dr. Doctor, so to speak, uh, ask the math uh, dr. I don't, I don't really like it, but that's what I found <laughs> at the time. So at uh, ask the uh, the math dr. Uh, or you know, by basically googling uh, my name, Duncan. Now the last name will be a little bit of a challenge, <laughs> to, <laughs> to be honest, to to Google. But Paula, Paula something, Paula Mordas. So uh, it's, uh, yeah. And I also have the the website with the same uh, the same URL, AskTheMathDR.com, which is uh, like I said, the only thing I found available at the time.
1: Yeah, and uh, Why Alex Beats Bobby at Poker on Amazon, d Poker Publishing. I'll have links and click-throughs on ChasingPokerGreatness.com, so you'll be able to find Duncan, all of his work, and check it out. My- Thank you very much, sir. This was uh, yeah one of-, one of my favorites of all time. I don't say Thank that you. lightly. I, I really Thank appreciate you. this and uh, would love to have you on again sometime
0: Absolutely. in the very near future. Sure. It was a great pleasure, Brad. Thanks really for having me. Yep. Thank you. Take care. You as well.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge and I'll see you next time.